evening, let's all stand. Together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing. Brethren, we have met to worship. A good old hymn, brethren, we have met to worship. And then one of our praise songs, How Deep the Father's Love. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Brethren, see poor sinners round you slumbering on the brink of woe. Death is coming, hell is moving, can you bear to let them go? See our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray and Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory behold the man upon a cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished and I will not boast in No power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know. Good to have you in the Lord's house tonight. Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Lord in heaven, we thank you so much for your many blessings to us. Lord, I thank you for each person who's taken this Sunday evening to come and be in your house. 
And I pray that you would help all of us to be open to the Holy Spirit working within our hearts. Please be with those that are maybe still rushing about. Give them safety as they get here. And help us in every way to honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And let's continue in singing. I sing the mighty power of God and then show us Christ. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and filled the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to Shines full at his command, and all the stars obey. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word, and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed where I turn my if I survey the ground I tread, or gaze upon the sky, there's not a plant or flower below, but makes thy glories known, and clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne, while all that borrows light from thee is Show us Christ, show us Christ. 
Before I have Brother Kent come up and Miss Julie's going to come up and sing, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get two volunteers that will lead us in prayer for the nation of Israel. I'm not looking for a long prayer, but a very sincere prayer. The nation of Israel, as you know, over the last couple days have been under very serious attack and um, some horrific things have happened there. And also, I think we're going to see very soon, we're going to see a serious response. And we need to be praying for that part of the world. Um, that part of the world, in many ways, not only do we love the children of God, the chosen people of God, the Israelis, would we support them? Yes, we would. But it is a, ten, a tinderbox for the whole world. And uh, we need to pray and just ask God to watch over them to give wisdom to the leaders. There are many hostages, including Americans and Germans that have, the news has said that have been taken, as well as Israelis. We just need to pray for God to have his hand on that, uh, have his will in it. Um, so I'm looking for two volunteers, maybe one, one lady and one man who would say, I will pray. Do I have a volunteer? Doris will pray. Doris has been to Israel several times on tours with me. And I need a gentleman. One gentleman. Kurt? All right, Doris, would you pray first? Just stand right up, good and loud. God in heaven, we bring this plea to you, Lord, to watch over Israel and help to have people make good decisions on all this. This so hurts our heart to see all the fighting that goes on. And, whether it be in Israel or all over the world and in our own families and our own homes. I just pray, Lord, that you give us the right wisdom and the choice of people to make good decisions. And I just pray for Israel and the many people that are in harm's way. Please take care of them and take care of us in our thinking and the way we handle things that might have an effect on this, all this outcome of all fighting all over the world. Thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this day. I ask that you would be with Israel as they suffer this, uh, these atrocities that have happened there over the last couple of days. And, uh, I ask that you would be with those people that are uh, in harm's way as they uh, have hostages. And there's many, many uh, thousands of people that have been injured uh, many are succumbing to their injuries to death. We just ask that you would uh, be with all the doctors and first responders and everybody looking through rubble and different things. Uh, give them the uh, ability to to uh, to be able to find them and help them. Um, I ask that you would be with the leaders in that area, uh, that you would give them wisdom, that they would be able to deal with this situation and and, uh, and bring it quickly to an end that it might uh, result in, in less loss of life and, and uh, that um, people through all of this would turn to you. Uh, they would see their need for your salvation that you offer to all. And, uh, and uh, we just ask that uh, you'd be with our own leaders as we... Uh, as we form our response to the 
to the conflict and just uh, give wisdom and and, um, and uh, we just we thank you for that we thank you for all that you do we know that your hand is in everything and uh, nothing happens without your knowledge or without your consent and uh, we rest in that and we uh, we trust you for that and we just thank you for this in jesus name amen amen um, Brother Kent York, he has come, and this is his third time he's come and done a revival for us. Um, I was just at, and I was just in Ohio where they live. I was at the BCMN meeting there and met his sons. His sons are pastors and uh, doing a great work for the Lord. And it, it is very much encouraging to see somebody who loves God who passes that on to his kids, and his kids come to a meeting of all pastors. They they encourage one another, they encourage other pastors. That's an important part of the ministry. And Brother Kent's passed that on down to his sons. <coughs> well, good evening. Are you glad to be here tonight? Say amen. amen. Well, we uh, have already had a good day this morning. I think several people in the crowd heard the voice of the Lord speak to them this morning. And uh, decisions were made and we're thrilled for that and uh, we are going to have our uh, our rumble and uh, it will start tomorrow night and I would like us to meet our rumble leaders one last time so Monday night it's uh, Sandy and Erica where's Sandy and Erica <coughs> Well, I know Sandy was here, but uh, all right. They're going to rumble against Paul and Tammy. Paul and Tammy, all right. Well, uh, Paul, I don't have anybody. You stay up. You both stay up. I don't have anybody for y'all to talk to, but we are going to do this tonight. Oh, you want to fill in? So, uh, 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 all right, Tammy, what do you have to say to the preacher over here? going to be a dog fight tomorrow night. All right. Now, okay, both of you keep your heads up. This is what we're going to do. Who would hold up your hand and say, no one has asked me to stand on Monday night yet. Hold your hand up if you've not been asked to stand on Monday night. Y'all see where they're at? As soon as the service is open, those people are free game. They're going to be ripping you people apart. All right. So, what's that? Did you see where they're at? Okay. She's got to get these folks. She's got to be quick. Is this Erica? Yeah. Why didn't you stand up, Erica? Huh? Oh, you wait. Well, I appreciate your participation. All right, let's give these two teams a hand. I thought you were Erica, but you didn't stand up. I'm like, well, maybe not. Okay. All right. Tuesday night is John and Hannah. There's Brother John right there. And they're going to rumble Kurt and Rachel. Kurt and Rachel. There they are. Yeah. Who would say nobody has asked me to stand for Tuesday night yet? Nobody has asked me to stand. Oh, look at them all around here. 
Oh, they're everywhere. All right. As soon as the service is over, y'all get after it. And uh, uh, Kurt, you got anything to say to John at all? Well, you're the one who didn't say anything, wasn't you? <laughs> Have you thought any new things to say to John? Oh! Uh, so what are you saying to John? He's a loser or why? What are you saying? John, what do you have to say back? I said, I don't think he really knows. Oh! All right, give these two teams a big hand. And then we've got Isaac and Jack. Where's Isaac and Jack? Jump right up. They're AWOL tonight, all right? All right, they're going to rumble against Harmon and Kathy. Where's Harmon and Kathy? There they are right there. Harmon, get up. All right, it's going to be easy for y'all tonight. Who has not been asked to stand on Wednesday night yet? Hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. If you've not been asked, do y'all see where they're at? All right, get after them as soon as the service is over. Give Harmon and Kathy a hand. And pray for Isaac and Jack. Right. Anyway, we will kick that off tomorrow night at the close of the service. So look forward to that tomorrow night. Also, I wanted to um, uh, tell you about my table real quickly in the lobby. And uh, the, the preacher misspoke this morning and said we use the proceeds for gas and stuff. No, the proceeds of the table we use for our mission trips overseas. And uh, last year we were in Israel and we were also in Ghana, West Africa. This year we've already gone to Costa Rica and was there two weeks Saw 23 souls saved down in San Jose, Costa Rica. And what a great trip. Uh, uh, this was a very unusual trip for us because I have always gone down there with a missionary. In fact, usually everywhere I go, a missionary invites us to come. Well, I've been to Costa Rica. This was my fourth trip to Costa Rica. <coughs> and the, the missionary that we always went with was Brother Randy Roberts. And Brother Randy went to be with the Lord uh, three years ago. And so I did not have a missionary to go to Costa Rica. But Brother Randy did a beautiful job in Costa Rica. He planted churches and put national pastors in there. And those national pastors invited me to come and speak in their churches. And so I was going to get a hotel and stay in a hotel. But the, the main pastor of the church, Randy, left behind. He said, oh, no, Brother Kent, uh, traffic is so horrible. We couldn't have time to pick you up and take you to all these churches you, we want you to stay with us in our homes. So, so now me and Julie are committed to stay in the home of Costa Rican people. A man and his wife and their two kids. And uh, we really didn't know what we were going to be in for. But we said okay. And so we're living right down in the neighborhood with the Costa Rican people. And uh, uh, first day, Julie went to the grocery store, spent about $400 to 
$10 on groceries. Now, nothing's cheap in Costa Rica. Used to, you go into these countries, everything was dirt cheap. Now they're just as expensive. I really don't even know how poor people live down there. Things are high and some things are more expensive. Anyway, Julie bought enough groceries for two weeks and uh, then we went to the fruit market and brought fruit and we had all the food. Now, uh, the preacher's wife never cooked one meal. He did all the cooking. He was the chef. He made my breakfast in the morning and he cooked dinner for us at night. And um, so the second week we were there, we were going from church to church. He said, Brother Kent, is there anything else that we just haven't had that you would like to have? And I said, well, the food's been great, but you know, in the evening, I like uh, to have a little cheese, just maybe some cheese to nibble on because it's a, a good snack and it's low carb. And uh, so uh, he said, well, that's great. There's a dairy farm over here with a little dairy farmer and they make the cheese every day. We'll go over there tomorrow and we'll buy some cheese. And I said, really? I said, we'd really like to see how they make the cheese. And so we went the next day and it was just a little drive with one little window like this. Everything they make, they sell out of that window. And uh, so Brother Marco, the pastor said, this couple is from America and the United States and they'd like to come and see your cheese making operation. And the guy was kind of like, well... Okay, so he came around and locked the gate. We went back to the cheese room and his wife was back there. They make cheese every morning and this is about one o'clock. They're cleaning it up and she's got a big black uh, rubber apron on and rubber boots and they're, it's so clean. And uh, she left the room for a minute and then she came back in and he's explaining how the cheese is made. And all of a sudden, she busts out and just starts crying, just bawling. And then he starts bawling. And we're like, what's going on? And Brother Marco, I said, what's going on? And so he asked him. And I guess just before we had walked in the door, they had received a phone call from a lawyer who said that he was representing a former employee and they were suing them for eight million colonies. Now, eight million colonies is about $14,000 in Costa Rica. And this couple said, we've not done nothing. This, these are lies and we don't have that kind of money. And it was really a tense moment. And so I said, well, you know what? I'm, a, I'm an evangelist and this is Pastor Marcos. And we'd like, why don't we just have prayer about this and give it to God? I can tell it's a burden on you. And so we all got in a huddle and we began to pray and they're, they're bawling and squalling and slinging snot all over us and everything. It's, and, and they were so happy and they're hugging us and loving on us. And he said, I don't know why I let you come back here. We never let anyone come back here in the cheese room. And he said, but for some reason when he asked, I said, yes. And I said, well, let me tell you something. It was not an accident for us to be here. This was a divine appointment. 
And he said, well, thank you so much for praying with us. I said, I'm preaching tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and I'd love for y'all to come. He said, well, we milk the cows and make the cheese every morning. We can't come in the morning. I said, well, I'm having a service also at five o'clock tomorrow afternoon. And they said, well, we'll try and come. And lo and behold, Brother Tim, they came at five and sat right on the front row. And when I preached and held the invitation, they were the first ones at the altar and they got saved on Sunday night. And we're talking just a young couple about 35 years old. They have two little kids and um, they were gloriously saved Sunday night. And so I told my pastor in Oklahoma, I said, I told him the whole story and he said, Brother Kent, that's cheese evangelism. So, uh, so we went to Costa Rica and did some cheese evangelism. But during that week, we saw, we saw 23 come to know Christ as their Savior. And it's just one story after another. And uh, when you buy a shirt or a hat back there at my table, uh, you're helping me go on my next mission trip. Now... Uh, also, while I was in Costa Rica, one church had a roof, a tin roof with light shining through and uh, they need a ceiling just like you have a ceiling in here because when it rains, they can't hear themselves and when it's hot, it's extra hot. And so I told them I'd come back and try to raise enough money to put a roof, a ceiling in their auditorium. And I've committed to, to give them $4,000. And then there was another church that was just packed, but they only had two little classrooms. And the pastor wants to build some more classrooms. So I committed to raise $2,500. So I'm trying to raise uh, uh, $6,500 for those two projects. And uh, there's probably three people in the room right now that could write me a check for a thousand dollars. Where where are those three people? <laughs> oh, you say, well, Brother Ken, if I had it, I'd give it to you. I'm sure you would, but maybe you could buy a shirt or a hat and we'll use those funds also to help put these projects together in, in San Jose, Costa Rica. So when you come back to my table, you can use any credit card in the world. You can write a personal check or I have a little change if you need it. But me and Julie will be back there after every service and it's wonderful witness where you'll enjoy it. And then two, uh, you're helping with a mission project. Well, Julie's gonna come and sing one just before I preach and you know, I hear so many times, I, sometimes I'm guilty of it too, uh, saying, boy, I remember the good old days. You remember the good old days? You remember how church was years ago and how people were more open to the gospel? But you know, folks, the only days we've got are right now. Amen. We can't do anything about the past. And these are the days Amen. for us to do what God wants us to do. And this is uh, what Julie's going to sing. These are the days. Mm -hmm. 
There have been days when weariness tried to steal life's joys, moments to spend enjoying my girl and boys. Those are the times I need to gather them in and cherish each second. I are the days, days they'll remember all their lives, moments to show them how precious they are to me, these are the days, there's not many left to see. There have been days when I let the world come in my door Wasting my time, always thinking there must be more All I needed to do was to look up and let Jesus fill my days, days I remember of my life, moments to show him how precious Christ is to me, these are the days, there's not many left to see, I spend so little time with the Of God's saving touch These are the days Days I remember all my life Moments to show Him How precious Christ is to me These are the days there's not many left to see These are the days These are the days Amen. Thank you, honey. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter number 5 tonight. Luke, chapter number 5. Julie doesn't like me to mention it, but she wrote that song. And uh, that uh, has got quite a good message. These are the days we need to do what we need to do for Christ right now. Because these days will be gone. Well, let's stand and we'll honor the Bible as we read it. We're going to start in verse 1, Luke chapter 5, verse number 1. 
Tonight we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, fishing. I love to fish. And uh, we're going to look at Jesus because he goes fishing. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Some people say, well, I wonder why he did that. I stood there on that bank where Jesus uh, uh, had taught the multitude. And, uh, you know, they were pressing down the shorelines along the Sea of Galilee, very narrow beaches. And uh, he pushed out in that boat because he made nature a natural PA system. Have you ever, have you ever been at a lake and there's two fellows out in a boat and you can hear every word they're saying out there. You know why? Because the sound travels on the water. And I imagine as I stood there in Israel last year, the people ringed around Christ and it was pressing him against the sea and he pushed out into that boat and that water acted as a PA system to speak to all those people. Then in verse 4, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship, that they would come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all of that, all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. As we did this morning, I always like to invite anyone that would like to come and join me around the altar. We're going to pray for revival for Victory Baptist Church. If you're not comfortable coming down, you can just be seated. Or if you're unable physically, I understand. But I would love to have anyone that would come down and pray with me. Come on down. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Hmm. Amen. Good group tonight. Come on down and pray with us. Praying for revival.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. Oh, it's just good to be in your house on a Sunday night. Lord, you know that I got saved on a Sunday night. I like a Sunday night service. Lord, we're praying for revival for Victory Baptist. Praying for a man and a woman that's cold. They've become complacent and apathetic about your work and your will. And I pray tonight you will speak to their heart and bring revival. I pray we would look at this great event in the life of Jesus and use it to inspire us. Dear Lord, we're going to give you the next few moments. They're all yours. And we'll be very, very careful to give you all the praise and all the honor and every bit of the glory in what you're going to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't know about you, but I was raised by a great fisherman. And even my mother was a great fisherwoman. And they loved to fish and they taught me how to fish. I remember my daddy, when I was just about eight years old, he bought me my first Zebco 101. Oh, did you ever, did you ever have a Zebco? It was... When I was a kid, they were black and white. They were made by the Zero Torpedo Company of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, oh, I loved that Zepco. And one day me and dad went out to the Melton Farm Pond. And my dad was not one of those fishermen that believed you ought to sit in a chair. He, he believed if you were going to fish a pond, you had to walk all the way around it. And you had to cast and reel and cast and reel and... He put an Abu spinner on the end of my uh, Zebco 101. Oh, it was a little yellow one with black polka dots and two little feathers and two three-way hooks and a spoon. All oh, the black bass in Oklahoma love an Abu spinner. And Dad said, "Can't pull in your line. We're going to go around. Uh, we're going to go around that bank of trees over to that bank over there." And so I'm following my dad. I'm about seven years old. And all of a sudden I hear my reel go. And I thought, man, I've hooked something. And I looked up and in my complete horror, I had hooked my daddy in the hanging down part of his ear. His eyes bugged out and my eyes bugged out. You say, oh, I bet he was mad. Well, let me tell you something. When you've got your daddy hooked by the hanging down part of his ear, he's extremely polite at that point. And he looked at me and said, Kent, I kept the tension on him, you know. He said, Kent, 
you need to push that button on the back of that reel. And I'm like, I do? Because I'm thinking when I push it, that's when he kills me right then. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Dad. And I pushed it and his head came back up straight. And uh, oh, the blood dripped off the end of his ear. And he the barb went all the way through. He couldn't pull it out. So Dad always carried needle nose pliers and he had to reach up there and snap that hook off to get it out of his ear. And uh, he didn't whip me for that, but he said, Kent, when you're out there with a rod and reel, you got to be careful. And I've been careful ever since. You see, my daddy was a Baptist preacher too, and he was the first one that ever had his ears pierced. Right? <laughs> and I did it. My dad also loved to fish for catfish in the Washita River. And all them big old channel cat are in the Washita River. And, you know, if you know anything about catfishing, you, they like stinky stuff. Now, I know you northerners up here, y'all, y'all think nobody eats catfish. But in the south, we eat a lot of catfish. And uh, well, you guys have to have halibut or, uh, or some cod, but we don't. We eat catfish down south. <laughs> And um, all them catfish, they're so big, but they like stinky bait. In fact, they call it stink bait. And uh, you can buy it at the bait store, but my dad did not believe that was good enough. He had to make his own. And so we would go down to the butcher shop when I was a kid. And he'd say, you got any old soot back there? And that's that fat that they trim off the meat. And they'd have a bag of soot. And then he'd say, do you have any chicken guts? And back then they actually cleaned chickens. And there was chicken guts. And then he'd say, I want a block two of that Limburger cheese. Now, have you ever smelled Limburger cheese before? It smells like these teenage boys' tennis shoes. Exactly. <laughs> It's the, it's the same smell. It's horrible. And dad would go home and he would get out mom's blender queen and put it on the counter. And he'd dump that soot in there and then he'd dump those chicken guts in there. Oh, it was the most ungodly looking strawberry milkshake you ever seen. And then he'd take a knife and he'd start slicing that Limburger cheese and drop it in there until it was all mixed up. And then he would pour it in a mason jar and then a ceiling. Oh, it stunk so bad. It was horrible. But it wasn't good enough yet. We had to take it out behind the barn and dig a hole and we'd bury the jars and cover them up. He'd leave them buried for three or four months. And then it came catfish day and we'd go out there and dig real easy and we'd pull a jar of that out. And I mean, when you open the lid, it was the worst stink in the world. And then he'd take one of mom's little pink kitchen sponges and he'd cut a little square and pull a three way hook through it. And the way you'd do it, you'd wet that sponge and then you'd put it in the jar and take a stick and poke it. And when you pulled it up, you just had a blob of stink on the end of your line. And you'd lay it in that river and let it go down. And all oh, them catfish love that stink bait. And I was about eight years old and I went with my dad and he said, now Ken, don't you get any of that stink bait on your clothes? Because if you do, mom will kill us. 
And I said, oh, dad, I'll be careful. So I got my little sponge and I got over there and I just grabbed a little bitty stick and I was poking like an eight year old kid and the stick broke. And when it broke, these two fingers went down in the stink bait. And when I lift, pulled them up, I had a blob of stink on the end of my fingers. And I first thought, no, 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 dad said, don't get it on the clothes. And I didn't have enough sense to go down the river and wash it off. So I decided I was just going to fling it off my fingers. So I went over and there was a little sapling tree there and I put, everybody okay? All right, here we go. I went over to that little sapling of a tree. And I pulled back as big as I could. And when I slung it down in that tree, a limb went right across my fingernails. You ever hit your fingernails like that? And I went, ah! Oh, and it tasted worse than it smelled. Don't you love a good fishing story? You know, if we had time tonight, we could go around the room and all of us would have a fishing story to tell. But tonight we see Jesus goes fishing. Jesus goes fishing. And I see tonight in this story, jumps right out, three broken things. And that's what I want to preach on tonight. Three Broken things. The first thing that I saw broke is in verse number six. Do you see it there? The Bible says, and when they had done, had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. The first thing we've got is a broken net. Now you remember when Jesus said, let's go fishing, Peter kind of Kind of took offense. He said, Lord, we've fished all night long and we have caught nothing. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a, is a pretty nice body of water. We, we uh, even went out on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. The water's fairly clear. And you see, they were fishing with a net. They were pulling a net. You don't pull a net at 10 o'clock in the morning because the sun shines down and the fish can see the net. They turn around and swim the other way. That's the reason fishermen fish at night. It's dark. They pull the net through the dark water and they catch the fish. Simon Peter said, we fished all night long and we have caught nothing. And Jesus says, let's go out and let our nets down. Now, if you remember in the first of this passage, he's teaching along the seashore and the fishermen are sitting there cleaning, washing their nets. They had just got all their equipment clean. And now Jesus says, let's go drop the nets again. Now, you school kids that are here tonight, it says drop your nets. There's an S on the end. What does that mean? That means plural. Drop all your nets. But if you'll notice, the Bible says that when he went out there, Simon Peter, he dropped 
one net. Verse number five, he said, I will let down the net. Not nets, but one. I kind of see as him humoring Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, I'm a professional fisherman. You're a really good teacher. Why don't you stick to the teaching and I'll stick to the fishing? But he said, I will let down one net. They went out there. They pulled it. The middle of the morning, sun shining, maybe 10 o'clock. And all of a sudden, Peter says, is this good, Lord? Yeah. All right, guys, pull it in. And all of a sudden, they're going, mm. Mm. Uh, Peter, we're hung up on something. I don't know what it is. Oh, you lazy dogs. Pull that net. Get it in here. He reached over with them. And all of a sudden, boiling up beside that little boat was more fish than they'd ever seen in all their life. And I got to believe as a true fisherman, the first words out of Peter's mouth had to be, Woohoo! Look at all the fish. Isn't that amazing? They've caught nothing and now they're looking at more fish than they've ever had in their life. There's some great truths to learn here tonight. Number one, the past had no bearing on what Jesus could do right then. You see, there's some of you right now, you're living a defeated Christian life because you're letting your past beat you up. Do you understand there's not a thing we can do about yesterday? But I am constantly meeting Christians. Well, Brother Ken, I can't serve the Lord. I'm divorced. I can't serve the Lord because once I tried to and I, I tried to have a Bible study and I quit it. I tried to have a van route and I gave up. They even gave me a Sunday school class and those kids ate me alive. You know what? The past has no bearing on what God can do today. Quit letting the past beat you up. Also, man's problems are usually the place that God loves to bless the most. He plants in a potted failure and he produces fruit. These men had caught nothing and their fish came up in the net all of a sudden. Oh, I'd like to have seen that. Can you imagine them fish boiling up and they're loading their boat and the boat's starting to sink and Simon runs back to the end of the boat and he says James John get the boat bring it out we need some help and all of a sudden they come paddling out there they're throwing fish right and left both ships are beginning to sink do you understand that God's capacity to bless will always be greater than your capacity to hold it I've seen him do it over and over again. Bless more than we even thought he could bless. Me and Julie have 
We've been to Paris a couple of times on mission trips and, oh, we would stay in a hotel and go down in the mornings and little cobblestone street and we'd go down to a little bakery. And, oh, have you ever been to a French bakery there in Paris? And, oh, the whole counter is just beautiful croissants with, with cream and chocolate and there's little fruit tarts and I want one of those and I want two of those. And you pick them out and then they'll go, well, what would you like to drink? And I'm like, I want a cup of coffee. And they'll go, cafe? No, I want coffee. Cafe? No coffee. So finally, okay, cafe. And in Paris, a cafe is about that tall and about that big around. It's just like this. And they're not walking around with a pot giving you refills. No, they make every cup by a barista. And you know, I think sometimes that's the kind of blessing cup we have in our life. It's a little Paris cafe cup. Fill my cup, Lord. It only holds two drops, Lord. You know what I say to you tonight? Get a bigger cup. Get a big cup because God can fill your cup and run it over. My grandfather, the doctor told him he could only have one cup of coffee a day. And so he, he went out and found a cup that tall and that big around. And he was the old timer where they ran it over and filled the bowl under the sock. Oh, it took a whole pot of coffee. Are you just drinking one cup a day? Just one cup a day. It was a whole pot. Let me tell you something. God can bless you beyond what you could ever dream. And that's what he did in Peter's life. The net broke. The net broke because they couldn't hold all the fish that they caught. And oh, I wish some of you would step out by faith and test God and try God, even in your giving. You know, the Bible says that if you'll give, he'll open the windows of heaven and it'll pour you out a blessing that you can't even hold. Oh, a great God, a great God to bless. I remember we were in Tucson, Arizona one night and. I'll tell a little funny story every once in a while that you ought to take a $20 bill and fold it four times and put it in the palm of your hand and just, just hit your preacher with a 20 every once in a while. Have you ever done that lately? That'll, that'll help Brother Tim's razzmatazz all week long. Just uh, fold that little 20 up and just as you go out the door, go, love you, preacher. Now, Brother Tim, when someone gives you a 20, you don't just jerk it out and go, woohoo, $20 bill. You're a man of God. <laughs> Show some dignity. <laughs> and the way it works, Brother Tim, it's very simple. It's just one movement of the elbow. Well, God bless you. Gone. Right in your coat pocket. God, did you get that? It's just that. Him. Up. Dead. That's it. Don't pull it out. Don't look at it. Just say, God bless you. Well, I told that little funny story. And the next night, I'm standing at the back door of the church in the lobby. And a guy walks in with a big grin on his face. And he, hey, brother kid. And when he reached out, I felt it. Right. I told him to give it to the preacher. But he was palming me. 
And I'm like, well, God bless you. So anyway, I'm down, um, I'm down on the front row and they bring up a fellow named Oscar Gravan. He was starting a new church south of Tucson. And he said, oh, church, we're building some brand new Sunday school rooms. And the ladies in our church are selling homemade tamales. And if any of you'd like to buy some, I'm, I'll be here tonight to take your money. And uh, I was literally on the front row with my hand in my pocket rubbing that $20 bill. And right then God said, you could buy $20 worth of those tamales. And I said, well, Lord, we won't be here when they deliver them. And if I'm not going to eat them, I'm not going to buy them. And he said, you're too fat anyway. You don't need them. And I'm on the front row going, Lord, I don't like it when you talk to me that way. And I'm rubbing that 20. It's my 20. He gave it to me. It's my 20. And oh, I was. So after this, I preached. And I think we had six people saved that night. I'm so spiritual. And uh, so Brother Oscar comes right down front. And he sticks out his hand. And I'm rubbing that 20 again. And I'm like, oh, Lord's like, give it to him. And I'm like, okay. And he sticks his hand out and I slap that bill right in his hand. Now remember, Brother Tim, I didn't look at it, but I saw it when it went into Oscar's hand. It wasn't a 20. That guy had palmed me a $100 bill. And Brother Oscar goes, praise God, $100 worth of tamales, brother. To this day, still thinks I'm the most generous evangelist in the world. <laughs> and we're walking across the parking lot that night, leaving, and Julie's like, what's the matter with you? I said, oh, I did something stupid tonight. She goes, what'd you do? Well, I was going to give Brother Oscar 20, and I gave him a $100 bill. And she goes, do you ever listen to your own preaching? <laughs> Don't you hate it when your wife is playing the role of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I said, oh, shut up. That was, I'm talking to them. This is my $100 bill. She says, well, you always say you can't outgive God. I know I tell them that, but that was my $100 bill. So anyway, the next night was the last night of the revival. And on the last night of the revivals, usually I stand down front and all the kids come down because they've been drawing pictures all week of me. Now, the pictures are always the same. It's like a round balloon man with a tie and my arms sticking out like that. Usually, I'm either running from a dog or going down a slide in all the pictures. And they fold it like 50 times, put it in an offering envelope, lick it, and bring it to me. And so, I'm collecting all my artwork, you know, on the last night. And, and one little bitty boy walks up. He probably looked like he's about five years old. And he goes, this is for you. And he's got one of those offering envelopes licked and sealed. And so, that night, we go back to our motor home. And I'm sitting there the next morning. We're getting ready to head to El Paso, Texas. And... I open, oh yeah, there's a little fat guy going down a slide, and there's a little fat guy running from a dog. They're all the same. And then all of a sudden, I pull that one envelope. No name. And I open it up. And it wasn't a, a drawing. It was $50 bills. And I began to count them out on the table. And that little boy had handed me an envelope with 500 
dollars in it. And Julie was standing there and she goes, ha ha! I told you you could not give God. And I learned my lesson that I can't outgive God, even by mistake. I couldn't outgive God. So we got in our motor home and drove to El Paso. The motor home broke down in El Paso. Found two Mexican guys in a barn and they worked on it and it came to like $499. <laughs> the Lord knew exactly what I needed and he gave it to me. And they didn't take credit cards. You know what? God's ability to bless will always exceed your ability to hold it. And the net broke. Secondly, we see there in verse number 8, the second thing broke. In verse number 8, it says, when Simon Peter saw it. I mean, this, this scene is going on. It's wonderful. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The second thing in this story that broke is we've got a broken man. What a strange reaction. But Simon knew at that very moment that he was in the presence of the Lord. And when he calls him, O Lord, He's saying, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And when he realized he was in the presence of the Lord, he fell down at the knees of Jesus and basically said, get away from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I've heard people for years say, well, I can't wait to get up to heaven. I'm just going to walk right up to God and say, give me five. No, you're not. When we see Christ or we stand in the presence of God, we're going to fall on our faces unworthy to be there. And that was the broken man that Peter was. And I'm going to tell you right now, you'll never be able to do anything for God until you're willing to be broken first. You don't go into the service of the Lord. You don't have the blessings of God with personal pride. You got to be broken. And when you're broken, your strength comes out. Someone said the fragrance of a rose is so wonderful. But if you really want to smell the fragrance of a rose, crush it. Crush it. And the fragrance is that much more. You see, Peter was a broken man that day in that ship. And God used him the rest of his life. Oh yeah, he had some failings. But God was able to use Peter because he was willing to be broken. When was the last time you got broken? When was the last time some of you shed a tear over your family that's headed straight to hell? Yeah. Over your neighbors that don't know anything about Christ? Has it broken your heart? We need to be broken to serve. It's not about me. It's about what he wants in my life. And Peter broke. And then thirdly, and I'll be done. We see there in verse number 10. It says, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt 
catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, what did they do? They forsook all and followed him. Now you need to realize that Simon Peter, James and John were partners in this fishing endeavor. We might call it uh, uh, Simon and Johnson Fishing Company. Mm -hmm. Today, their stock hit an all-time high. Today was the greatest day in their fishing life. And on the greatest day, they broke up the partnership. The third thing that broke in this story, we got a broken partnership. Aren't you glad someone like Sam Walton wasn't standing, the founder of the Walmart chain? He could have been standing on the bank going, hey guys, come over, I want to talk to you. How does lowest prices always sound? You guys let Jesus teach out of your boat every morning. He shows you where to throw the nets over. You catch the fish, we will corner the fish market. We'll be millionaires. No. They pulled their ships to land and forsook it all. There was a broken partnership. And I say to some of you tonight, you need to break the partnership up. Some of you are so partnered with this world. Some of you are so entrenched in your, your career, your occupation, your hobbies, your sports. And I truly believe that sports is the God of our world today. Back in the old days in the Old Testament, they were Baal worshippers. Well, guess what? We've got bell worshipers today. They foot bell, basket bell, bass bell, and they worship the sports. And some of you parents, listen to me. You've got your kids so strung out with these sports, youth sports. You need to break the partnership up. Now, I'm not against youth sports. I used to be the coach for my kids' little league team. But you know what? We didn't practice on Sundays. We didn't play on Wednesday nights. And our rule at our house raising our boys is anything conflicts with church, you tell them you can't be there. Sorry. We're good for us. And you know what? Once they got wheels, 16 years old, wheels will drop out of their rear end. And they got to roll everywhere. We told them you're going to get it. You can get a job, but you tell the boss the first day. I don't work on Sundays, Sunday nights. I do not work Wednesday nights because I go to church. My kids never lost a job. In fact, the boss has said, "I'd like to have a hundred more like your kids because they were godly and they were honest." Break up the partnership. Don't let the world tell you what to do. Well, brother Kent, I want my kids to be in sports because it builds character. No, it doesn't. Sports reveals character. And I ask people sometimes, what kind of character would you like them to be? Would you like them to be the next Tiger Wood? Who is a, was a complete whoremonger? You want him to be Vic, the dog fighter? You want him to be uh, Hernandez, went to prison for murder? 
What character do you want your kids to be? You want your kids to have character. Teach them to serve God and be in church. That'll build character. Break up the partnership with the world. They brought it all to the land. They surrendered it all. My daddy came home from World War II, 1945. He met a lunatic preacher in Chickasha, Oklahoma. His name was J. Curtis Goldman. Preacher knows him. He's with the Lord now. But he led my dad to Christ. And it wasn't long God called my dad to preach. But my dad could not surrender to the ministry because he had too good a job. He'd worked for 17 years for the Superior Oil Company. Superior Oil Company at one time was the largest driller in America. They're part of the Exxon Mobil Group today. We lived in Casper, Wyoming at the foot of Casper Mountain. He made big money. We had a beautiful home. He had a company truck. He was the supply manager for the Rocky Mountain District of the Superior Oil Company. My dad was there when they put the first wells on the north slopes of Alaska. Have you ever thought how did they get the equipment to the north slopes of Alaska to drill wells? Well, they hired an old Navy CB man, my daddy. He went to the Navy and bought the leftover landing crafts from World War II. They filled them with oil well equipment and sailed them up to the northern bays of Alaska. When the tide went down, they sat down on the ground and they unloaded all of that equipment. When the tide came up, they sailed it back out. That's how the first wells, there was no roads up there. My dad was involved in that. He was a rising star. Like one time we went to Houston to visit his assistant. And his assistant lived in a mansion with tennis courts and swimming pool. And they even had stables out back. That was my dad's assistant. But God called my dad to preach. But he had too good of a job so he couldn't preach. Because preachers are poor. One summer mom loaded all of us kids in the car and we left Wyoming. And we went to Oklahoma to see our Uncle Lester and Aunt Sandy. Uncle Lester had a big ski boat. They went out to Canton Lake with my two older brothers and my sister. Me and my little brother were too little. We stayed at home. We had to take a nap. But that day out at Canton Lake, my sister Jody, my dad was just like me. He had four boys and one girl. She was 13 years old. She was a blue-eyed blonde. And all the kids were out on a big inner tube and someone turned it over and Jody didn't know how to swim. And they yelled for Uncle Lester and he swam out there and dived and dived. And finally felt her hand and pulled her up. They took her to the shore. They tried to pump the water out of her lungs and give her mouth to mouth. But that day my 13 year old sister she drowned at Canton Lake. My dad was at a job site in Wyoming at a hotel, a motel. 
Back then, young people, we didn't have cell phones, so you couldn't call. You had to call the state troopers. And they would look for a license plate. And that night, the door, the door on that motel knock came to my dad's room. Are you Jack York? Yes. You need to call this number immediately. You know, as a daddy of five, I can't even imagine what that phone conversation would be like. Honey, what's up? Jody. Her name was Joanne, but they called her Jody. Jody drowned today at the lake. To the day my dad died, he couldn't talk about her without weeping. It broke. Just a few weeks later, a church in Chickasha, Oklahoma called and said, we know you, Brother Jack. Would you come and be our full-time pastor? And he said, yes, instantly. He went to the Superior Oil Company the next morning, and he resigned after 17 years. Brother Tim, he walked across the street from our house and gave the house to the neighbors. The church said, we can't afford to move you. I'll move myself. And the first Sunday at the Bible Baptist Church in Chickasha, his big whopping salary was $90. And the treasurer said, preacher, don't cash it yet. I've got to beat you to the bank to put the offering in to cover it. And he preached until the day he died. But if he could be here tonight, he would tell you, it was the loss of his daughter that broke him, that crushed him. Now, don't go out of here and say, Brother Kent says if we don't serve God, God's going to kill our kids. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm telling you that sometimes God has to crush you to get you to fall. Broken. Broken. And tonight, church, we need to be broken for Jesus Christ. We're so grateful you're coming out tonight for revival. I think it's an important part of our church. I've been praying for this, praying for God to stir all of our hearts. And you continue to pray for Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, that the Spirit of God would stir our hearts. Reach out to your church friends. You see somebody not here, reach out, say, hey, great service tonight. Why don't you come? Be with us tomorrow night. Amen? Amen? Reach out. Bring them in. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you that we could come and be in your house this evening. Lord, we thank you for the messages we've heard so far and look forward to Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night as well. I pray that in every way we as a church would humbly yield to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.